Hello and welcome to the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Hugh, and today I'm joined by Billy Byrne to talk about authentic leadership. Billy is an executive coach, leadership development specialist, and an associate at Kinch Lions, organizational psychologist, as well as an associate on the High Impact Leadership Program here at the IMI. Billy holds master's degree degrees in organizational behavior and coaching, is a chartered fellow of CIPD and a council member of EMCC. Most importantly though, Billy has completed 19 marathons so far, with I believe the 20th coming up in September. That's correct. <laughs> How's the preparations going? <laughs> going well so far. Yeah, it'll be Dingle in September, so it'll be the second time I've done Dingle, so no surprises, hopefully. Well, you're a better man than me. So, to get into it, for those unfamiliar with concepts, can you just give us a definition of authentic leadership? Okay, thanks, you. I'll What I'll do is I'll give you slightly longer than a definition, if that's okay, um, rather than give you a stock definition. So if we take leadership, I look at leadership, it's always a relationship. So leadership is a relationship. We tend to think of it usually between the leader and followers, typically. So let's just bring that on to authentic leadership. For authentic leadership, I think there are three authentic relationships that go to make up authentic leadership. So the first is an authentic leadership relationship with oneself. In other words, that that relationship with, with oneself means that uh, we wear my strengths, my limitations, uh, also my my motivation, values, you know, and spending that time as well become, being self-aware. So that's an authentic relationship with myself. The second relationship is the one we tend to think of anyway, is the relationship with those that I'm working with, colleagues, whether they're peers, or typically the team that I might be leading. Uh, so there's an authentic re- leadership relationship there. And for it to be authentic, it means that, as I say, leading from the heart, building relation, that relationship built on trust. And as well, again, being authentic in that relationship in all aspects of the relationship with those people. Mm. But also, also with leading upwards, because I think leadership nowadays has to be a 360 degree way of looking at leadership. Yeah. So I've an authentic re- re- leadership relationship with my peers, with my own leader, my own manager, and also the team I'm leading. So if we take that, that's as the second relationship. The third authentic relationship then is that authentic relationship with, let's call it the organization. And this is where my uh, mission as a leader and that of the organization are aligned. So again, I'm not, sometimes I need to put uh, the organization ahead of my own Mm. goals. But in most cases, I'll have close alignment between what I'm trying to achieve and what the organization is. But I'm trying to put the organization first. So I have three authentic relationships that I put time and effort in to building those relationships, including with myself, taking time for reflection and building and maintaining those relationships. So for me, authentic, authentic leadership is about having those three authentic relationships. And what's the typical mindset of a leader you'd rate as being genuinely authentic with those around them? What are those sort of facets of their personality you look for? Okay, so if you take, again, building on the, on the relationship piece, the first is that real sense of self-awareness. And that's, that's identifiable in the person. We see the leaders who are, we would describe them as being very comfortable in their own skin. Mm. They're the leaders who are not afraid to say, I don't know, or I don't understand that. Is that a typically a natural part of their personality or something? I wouldn't say, for some it is, for some it's something that comes with years of work. 
yes, some people would be naturally comfortable in their own skin to begin with, but a lot of people, this is a skill that they have to bring up, that they have to develop over time. Um, so that's certainly, starting with self-awareness, that is, that is one of the, the real key uh, elements of, of any authentic leader. But it isn't just that. You also have to be very authentic, I say, in these other relationships. And that, that also, those leaders, you see it in the way that they work with their teams and you see that authenticity, which is built on trust. So the best measure is to ask, we say, the people who are working with this leader, as I say, their own team, uh, what springs to mind when they think of that leader. And if they're saying words like, like trust, openness, uh, some of them will even use the word authenticity. And some of them will even say that they also are know what the, the, the leader is not afraid to show their vulnerability. And again, that goes back to the self, self-knowing and self-awareness. You can't show vulnerability on, on, unless you really understand yourself in the first place. So those are the things, but it, it definitely starts with self-awareness, but it isn't just about self-awareness. That awareness all the time of how the leader is in relation to their team is really important. And it comes across at all times with, the, with those leaders. It seems to me it's also a courageous thing. Is, is a lot of these people that aren't uh, self-aware and, and, and authentic, is it a fear of being seen as non-professional? Is it that fear of, of not being seen as the typical CEO so they're just not truthful? Yeah, yeah I think so. I think this is for the inauthentic leader uh, or, or as uh, Goffey and Jones call him, the inauthentic role player. Just to say one thing about that, the inauthentic role player will always be found out because after a while you can only put on a facade for so long it takes a lot of energy to do that. But yet sometimes it can be a fear. It can be a fear that there is some expectation that this is how a leader is meant to look. This is how a CEO is meant to be. Rather than actually to be authentic, yes, sometimes you do need to show your vulnerability. But I think even that needs a certain amount of skill. Like you, you can't go around showing your vulnerability at all times. And this is where the authentic leader, as a, as a skill level of how to, how to show the vulnerability, but yet remain true to themselves uh, at all times. Not to show it completely, but show it in a skilled manner. But I think it's the fear. I think it's the courage. I think there is a courage needed to do that to be able to to express that vulnerability, to say at times, I don't know. Mm. And yet that's something that people really admire. Is there any other ways of, as, other than saying, oh, I don't know, which I always feel is a very powerful statement, but <laughs> for leaders to show that vulnerability without going too far? Is it? Well, I, I think in terms of, this is where I think emotional intelligence has an enormous role to play. Because the emotionally intelligent leader is aware of how their emotions affect other people. They're also aware, by the way, of how other people's emotions affect them. But this is all part of self-awareness, not just the inward looking. But they're very much aware of how their emotional state has an impact on others and how that can generate an emotion in others. So demonstrating vulnerability in a skilled way has an emotional impact on the other person. And this is where the emotional leader, uh, the most intelligent leader as an authentic leader has a, a huge range of skills in terms of knowing the type of emotion that they are generating in the other person. Let's say it's a very high, we just say they're, they're not aware of this. They could be generating fear. They could be generating stress in the other person who's looking at this vulnerable leader and saying, we're all doomed here. Like, you know, we are, we are finished. Versus the vulnerable leader who's, who, who's showing this and what they're generating in the other person is that sense of trust that sense of, yes, I can see that the leader is being affected by the change as well, but I'm also seeing that this leader has confidence and optimism. So we are rarely demonstrating a single emotion. We're not that, we're not wired like that. Mm. We are always demonstrating and generating multiple emotions in other people. And I think the skilled, emotionally intelligent leader, who is an authentic leader uh, as well, 
is generating an emotion which has that mix of demonstrating your vulnerability, which shows, look, I'm in this too. I'm with you on your journey. But they're also demonstrating at a level of optimism, I can bring you through this. And they're also showing that self-actualization, I am driving for us to achieve. So they're bringing a range of emotions and they're very aware of the emotions that they're generating and they can calibrate this in the moment. Mm. So when they're in conversation with someone else, either a large group or an individual, and very powerfully with an individual, they can calibrate and regulate how they get their message across. And it's not, it may sound the way I'm describing it, this is almost manipulation. It isn't. It is the leader saying, what, from an authentic leadership point of view, does this relationship need from me in this moment? So in terms of me making sure that this authentic relationship with my direct report, for example, is exactly at its best, these are the emotions that I'm displaying and that I'm generating with this other person. So again, there's a lot of skill in doing that. It takes a lot of time. Some people are more natural than others. But that for me, putting time and effort into those emotional intelligent areas, that's that's huge benefit for uh, leaders. So emotional intelligence will almost be the anchor to authentic leadership. I, let's put it this way. If you don't have emotional intelligence, I think it's, you're, you're almost doomed uh, in terms of trying to develop as an authentic leader mm. because you won't be putting the effort into, for example, your own self-awareness. You won't understand the impact you're having on the emotions of other people. You won't understand the impact that other people's emotions are having on you. It will certainly impact your decision-making. Maybe you're in, be impulsive, for example, as uh, impulse control. In terms of one of the areas of emotional intelligence is about empathy, for example. Mm. How can you be an authentic leader uh, without empathy? One of the key, I'd say, foundations of being an authentic leader is being able to empathize, enable, in other words, really being able to understand what's going on for these other people that I'm working with, whether it's my boss, whether my peers, my customers, my team, knowing what's going on for them and working then with that information. What does this relationship need from me? And it goes back to that relationship again. If you take it with the, the, your own team, knowing what they're experiencing will help me to be the authentic leader that they need me to be in that relationship. So I think certainly uh, emotional intelligence, if you don't have this, it's going to be really, really difficult to be an authentic leader. If a CEO or a head of department is listening right now in a multinational company, the next time they hire a leader, should they be testing for emotional intelligence as part of the hiring process? Or if they're a leader themselves already, should they be testing themselves? Testing is an, an interesting word. <laughs> <laughs> you can certainly use emotional intelligence uh, as one input to your selection process. However, you, you, emotional intelligence is something that can be developed. Mm. It's not like IQ or, or even personality was relatively stable. Like motion, emotional intelligence can be developed over time. I'm surprised by that, I must say. I, I, I can imagine it, but I could imagine, you know, what's that famous phrase, give me a child at seven and I'll show yeah. you the man. Yeah, yeah. I would have imagined it's mostly before people get into the work environment. Uh, no, I mean, emotional intelligence, I mean, there's lots and lots of research on this and the way it can be developed because... Um, Yes, we develop it naturally as well. There is a natural level uh, from the time, you know, we say if you're taking most intelligence of the typical teenager versus the typical 50-year-old, the typical 50-year-old would have a higher level of emotional intelligence just through life's ups and downs and mm. learning as you go. But you can accelerate it and you can actually develop all areas of emotional intelligence. So if you take even something like empathy, uh, in my coaching work with, with executives, empathy is something that comes up on a regular enough basis. 
So you might take the argument, oh, I'm either empathic or I'm not. But actually, you can develop an enormous amount of, of empathic skills purely by, uh, for example, one of, the, one of the things I do with it is I get them to think before you're going to have your meeting, what I call this kind of strategic empathy, thinking ahead, how is what I'm about to say going to land with this particular stakeholder and say, well, maybe I do that already. Mm. Bring it to another level. What are they going to be feeling when you've spoken to them? Then practicing doing this before you know before these particular key meetings but then also practicing in the moment what am i experiencing what is this person feeling not just focusing on facts getting into the habit of saying right for this particular uh, interaction i want to remember not just what the person is thinking so what have they understood me what do i think is the emotional impact of what i've said to them and then think obviously afterwards as well reflecting on that so even empathy which someone say is you either have or you haven't you can develop so all areas of emotional intelligence can be developed as regards testing back to your question it can certainly give you an you can take an assessment of mm. where you are on the emotional intelligence uh, spectrum but on the basis that all of these things can be developed if you were going to put it for testing it would be only one of a range of other tools that you would use so you could easily get too caught up in it. you could get too caught up and say it's, it, it is a, it is certainly there's a lot of research showing that there's a direct correlation between emotional intelligence and high performing leaders mm. um, predict what we call transformational leaders excel in a number of areas of emotional intelligence i know some work that mhs have done in the past around uh, emotional intelligence have shown that leaders in all areas they've got 15 different areas of most intelligence in every single area leaders score higher than the general population yeah you know so that that's already there uh, but even within that that's that's still quite a, a spectrum and quite a mosaic that you can work mm. with in terms of how which areas does the particular need and need to develop and that can be developed particularly through coaching and this is where i think coaching is a great fit with authentic leadership and also with emotional intelligence where you can really really get the grasp uh, with a particular leader on what is the area of emotional intelligence which will both feed into their uh, leadership capability but also their authentic leadership ability you're, you're talking there uh transformational leaders yeah um uh, drilling into that a little bit more because it, it's not it's not the same as successful leaders. So I, I know this is a bit pop psychology, but I remember yeah. reading a book, uh, John Ralston, The Psychopath Test. The higher you go up in the corporate world, the more likely you to find psychopaths <laughs> who obviously don't have empathy. Yeah. So for those sort of as, aspiring leaders out there that are looking, why should they go down this route rather than the Gordon Gecko greed is good? Yeah and just roll over people on their way up to the top. Yeah, and it's not that there's a guarantee. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's going to be a distribution curve. There will be highly emotionally intelligent people who don't become top leaders. Mm. And there will be very low emotionally intelligent people who become top leaders. But you're at the edges of the, nat- of the, of the natural distribution. In that middle block where you really take, so, okay, but uh, it, it, by and large, what are we looking at? Mm. Not the exceptions, not the people, the outliers, uh, who eventually get fa- found out anyway, uh, <laughs> in a lot of cases. Um, in that large block, the research, I think, very clearly shows transformation leaders, in other words, people who transform their organisation. Now, the organisation doesn't have to be the whole company. It could be just their own group, uh, their own division, their own team. Transformation for me means that they've taken it from place A to place B and they're not going back to A again. So in other words, they've actually transformed mm. it. Um, by and large, that group, if they develop emotional intelligence, that will assist them in developing the competencies they need to be transformation leaders. So I think there's also a nice link between, you can know about, okay, where does emotional intelligence and competencies? 
Emotional intelligence are very much an enabler to help you develop certain competencies which are required to be a transformational leader. So if you take, for example, well, authenticity is one, but we just take, for example, a coaching style of leadership. Mm. So transformational leaders, by and large, tend to adopt a coaching style of leadership. That's the way they work with their teams. Now, there are emotional intelligence skills required to be an effective coaching leader. So for example, we talk about empathy, building uh, interpersonal relationships, uh, assertiveness. Mm. Um, also, I mean, coaching sounds very nice and very, very soft, mm. but there's an assertiveness holding people to account and holding oneself to account. So assertiveness is there, independence is also required, and that's self-awareness. So again, there are a range of emotional intelligence skills which you can connect as enablers by developing these skills, enable you to develop certain competencies, and those competencies can help you to become a transformational leader. So I think there's a nice linkage between competency, emotional intelligence, and, and the leadership piece that we shouldn't lose. It isn't just a direct link, oh, emotional intelligence, leadership, mm. you can do that, but there's a great link with competencies as well. Again, I might be going into a little bit of pop psychology here, but you're talking about the traits and uh, mm. leaders have more of the general population. Yeah. Within the mm. leadership subset, <laughs> yeah. a lot of these Trade you're talking about are sort of empathetic. Yeah. My simple question to align with it mm. is: Are women better at these traits? Do they have them in more abundance because society would traditionally see that they would have them more in yeah. abundance? And you can get to a whole t- a whole realm of like what's socially constructed yeah. versus what's natural and all of that. By and large, if you look at some of the research on the most intelligence, yes, there are some areas that women can score slightly higher. Uh, we say empathy actually. Can, uh, assertiveness men tend to score higher um, but it's by small enough margins and I mean you're still talking within a group you can still get we say some men who are highly empathic and women who are highly assertive so I mean it isn't it, it isn't as nice and neat as that but yeah there are some differences as there are cultural differences mm. I mean if you look at a sample group of the United States versus Japan again socially and culturally uh, the different value systems that are there around what's valued and how that people t- tend to behave, that can also feed into 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 the most intelligence measures. But yeah, and just going back to again, women versus men. Yes, there are differences, but not enormous. And in terms of the overall developing, a leader is a leader. No statistical significance. It's very small. It's very small, actually. Yeah. Okay, how much, and let's be really honest here, is being an authentic leader developing a mask of authenticity? Like, we obviously can't just let her it run wild. Yep. Surely. Yeah. And again, I would say, if, if, it's, if it's a mask, well, then by default, it's, it's not authentic at all. Mm. And that's where, again, going back to the old Goffey and Jones from their, their book, it's quite good. I mean, why should anyone be led by you? Uh, and they talk about the, the inauthentic role players who are high on skill but low on authenticity. In other words, they haven't really done the groundwork on that initial relationship I spoke about. That's the relationship with oneself and being true to oneself. So that relationship is weak, while they put a lot of skill into the other relationships, maybe particularly into managing upwards. Mm. So they're putting on a mask upwards. Are they the manipulators? Yes. Yeah. I mean, effectively, they're, again, say manipulators, let's say if we take my initial definition of authentic leaders, they wouldn't fall into that category um, because they don't have that that authentic sense of self and that being true to themselves in terms of their values and, and meaning and then also valuing that relationship 
as a truly authentic built on trust because if you're manipulating other people yeah, they will find out at some stage they'll know you're manipulating them it's interesting you do, do say they, they, they'll be found out how does a CEO see that because that information flow up and down the organisation is so vital for them to yeah. get that information and if someone's changing that information along the chain how can a CEO actually look at their mid-level management and say, these are the people I want to develop and these are the people that are actually... And that's a real challenge because, as you know, as the high, particularly at CEO level, it's really difficult to get unfiltered information. Mm. And actually, you are relying on the authentic leaders to give you that unfiltered information. Uh, I remember doing a bit of work with, with uh, a couple of CEOs uh, and that was their biggest challenge, was getting unfiltered information. What, what's really happening? Mm. Uh, so they are, they are relying on maybe trying to get a, that second level down view of the world mm. uh, from people. And just, again, somebody emotionally intelligent and uh, sort of authentic CEOs do connect into what's going around. I did. They. They. I think that they have a, a, a nose for uh, for something that's that's <laughs> going wrong. This is a family friendly <laughs> podcast, Billy. <really. laughs> yes, but they do certainly pick it up. But you're right. It is. I mean, and this is why some people can play a game quite far up. But and some will succeed. But a lot will get found out before they get to the top because they will have burned a lot of bridges mm. on the way. And reputation, like. Uh, Companies, companies are like families, you know, your reputation does get around. Yeah, absolutely. I read recently that despite what people say on exit interviews, a large majority of people don't leave their jobs, they leave their bosses. Mm. So what role does authenticity play in engendering loyalty amongst employees? And again, for that CEO, mm. reducing yeah. turnover, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think the authentic leader plays two really key roles there. One is that connecting the individual to the mission of the organization. Because if you take the authentic leader, they model this themselves. So we can see that the authentic leader uh, is aligned with you know, the overall mission of the organization. They buy it. They are committed to it. They are driving for it. So that's one thing. They are modeling the behavior and they're also helping the individual by using things like the coaching style of leadership. They are helping the individual to make that connection to the organization's mission. So firstly, the person feels more connected. Mm. That's a really important one. Now that, that's why this mission-driven is an important part of being an authentic leader. The second one is that relationship of trust and that openness. Uh, telling it as it is, the good and the bad. Mm. Uh, giving feedback. I think the authentic leader is also skilled at giving feedback, both the positive, the developmental, those. But it's based on trust. They can do that. So I think that those are the two big things, I think, in terms of, we say, holding on retention, building trust and connecting to the organization's mission. And very much, if you, take about, if you think about um, culture, uh, I think Stephen Covey said once that like, every time you open your mouth, you create culture. Uh, and very much for the leader, the authentic leader, what they talk about, what they pay attention to is very much the people who work with that leader pay attention to that as well because they see what is really important to this person. So if, for example, you have a leader and the, you know, your organization's mission is about being you know, customer-centric, being very much focused on customer, like you can write that on all of the flip charts you like, you can put it on all the posters, you can put it on, on your desktop, everything. Mm-hmm. What will tell you whether it's customer-centric or not is, does my leader talk about it? What do I see in the leader's behavior when we have discussions about you know, work and my feedback? Am I talking about uh, the customer? So again, that authentic relationship 
with the uh, an organization. In other words, I value the customer because that's what the organization values and I embody that. And then also when I'm dealing with my own uh, team, I'm making sure that they embody it as well. Mm. So I think that, the, that that's the, the piece where the authentic leader is likely to have higher retention rates as well uh, than, the, uh, than the inauthentic leader. So the, the, let's look at the results of an authentic leader versus that, uh, let's say, leader that <coughs> uses fear and unpredictability. Yeah. yeah. The whole style, let's call it. Yeah. So the authentic leader that works with their team is there a long-term sustained benefit to doing that way versus the sharp, sharp shock of getting results in the other way? Is there an actual genuine long-time self-sustaining model almost? Well, I think one of the parts of an authentic leadership is taking that longer-term view. Now, by the way, that can be a real challenge mm. for the authentic leader uh, because taking a longer-term view means investing in things which are which are as go back to a Stephen Covey phrase like they are they are important but not urgent mm. like spending time developing your staff coaching conversations by the way take much longer than a directing conversation it is a long-term investment so the transformational leader and the authentic leader is spending time investing in we say developing their team the longer term benefit of course is a much higher performing team but also if you have things like delivering for results so when you are delivering for results, sometimes, depending on the organization, that can be a dry for the short-term results. Let's get this out the door today rather than, hold on, there's a longer-term thing we need to do here in terms mm. of maybe you know the customer relationship. And again, this is where I think the authentic leader, where they have the longer-term mission of the organization, not just about the day-to-day results, but they know where the organization wants to go on the longer term. And that's what they're connected to. And they're always asking themselves, are we still moving in the right direction? Or are we starting to do things which are moving us away from what our mission is? So I think that view, that longer term view is part and parcel of being the the, uh, authentic leader, which is something that they must instill and walk the talk as well, that they are taking longer term views. And by the way, sometimes having to stand up and managing upwards in terms of the manager is pressurizing them for the shorter term results Mm. and they're influencing upwards in terms of this is the longer term view we're taking now of course sometimes you just have to deliver the short term you have to do it but i think the authentic leader puts more it will always ask the question like what is the longer term what's the direction we're taking here and i'm bringing my team with me i'd like to get a little bit more into the practicalities there because i guarantee everyone will be listening there saying yes that's correct that's correct correct yeah there's one yeah. big thing that's coming into mind i don't have the time yeah don't have the time yeah. so for the ceo leader should they concentrate on you know five or six key people around them coach them to coach others or is it a case that that leader has to actually put a bit of effort to everyone that comes into that organization or you know everyone into that department if it's a multinational yeah What's the limits? Where should the CEO stop? Where should the lead, leader begin? Where should the leader really concentrate? You mean in terms of emotional intelligence and authenticity? I'm actually talking about so coaching. Let's, yeah, okay. let's take just coaching, coaching for yeah. a spe- okay. specific yeah. example. Yeah. Should a CEO coach just those around them? Yeah. Or okay. try expand that out? Okay. Well, again, come back to the time. The CEO will have limited time mm-hmm. and valuable time as well. Um, so the amount of time I'd say, where am I going to get the biggest return? The biggest return at CEO level is modeling the behavior themselves and this is how we do things around here. So embodying a coaching culture that they do this. So the conversation, if you think about it, the CEO with four or five reports, for example, Mm. 
if that CEO is having coaching conversations with those reports, they're modeling that this is how they learn so that they're more likely to take that on to the next level and bring it down. Yeah. Um, but it still needs investment further down. I think to be, to be realistic, a CEO uh, in terms of being a coach, it's around using coaching conversations and saying this is how we do things, but with their own direct reports. Mm-hmm. Coaching further down, it would be a big stretch. Yeah. But embedding it further down then is also giving people the skills and the tools that they need. And if you really want to embed a coaching culture uh, in an organization, you really do have to go all the way down to team leader level where Mm -hmm. everybody is used to using coaching conversations. Everybody has a shared language uh, and everybody has a particular way of viewing these conversations, whether performance reviews or just day to day learning and development. But yeah, the, the CEO in terms of that time, it's huge investment for the CEO to have coaching conversations with with their people. Don't forget, if, if the CEO's direct reports will be all high performers, mm. that's why they're there. They're going to be high performers. The measure of the CEO is, are we getting the most from you know, the highest performance from these high performers? And that will come from coaching conversations rather than directive. So it will cascade down throughout the organization. Yeah. From that top. It's almost uh, like the reverse of the fish rots from the head or whatever yeah, we say. Yeah. Yeah, well I think if, if those are the types of conversations that we have at senior level, those are likely to percolate down in terms of the type of conversations we expect. So if you think of I mean I've worked in organizations myself, how your own boss does a performance review with you very much informs the type of conversation you will model mm. on to your own. Now obviously it's going to get diluted a bit as you go down. But that is the best indicator. So regardless of what we, we say we're going to do, I learn a lot from what I experienced myself. So if I'm a director reporting into a chief executive and my review of that executive is very much a coaching conversation, I will likely, more likely, model that mm. to the next level. But I do think, going back to something I said, I do think you need to invest in coaching skills. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people who've even been saying, being on the IMI diploma and coaching who are managers, and they will say like, the amount that they got, they are far better managers through their coaching skills. Um, I know David Clutterbuck, a, a guy who, who often quote around mentoring, says that when you, ment- when you train mentors, you're actually getting two for the price of one. So the mentor becomes a better manager mm-hmm. and the mentee becomes a better employee. And you actually get the double benefit. So embedding those coaching skills is needed, but also doing that on its own is not sufficient. You also need to model it from the top. So model it, lead by example, and also make key interventions throughout yes, the organization. Absolutely. At, at the various levels, yeah. Um, I attended your advanced edge session around the topic, and you mentioned the importance of a leader being aligned to their organization, organization mission and being yeah. driven by it. I think yeah. you've mentioned that again. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain that a little <laughs> bit further, aligning your own beliefs with the organization's yeah. mission? Absolutely. And I think that does start with that, uh, that first bit of knowing what your own mission is and what your own values are, because that's a really important place to start. And maybe like you know, for working with executives, sometimes they don't spend enough time really thinking about that. If I'm very clear about my own mission and my own vision for myself and my values are, if I don't spend the time on that, it's going to be difficult for me to do that, that alignment afterwards. So really understanding what the what the company's mission is is important but also it does have to begin with with your own and then the question of course is where is their conflict and where is their close alignment everything will not be Mm. nicely in alignment and if there's very large conflict and i've seen this by the way when you get we say something like a merger or an acquisition typically where the values i had were very closely aligned with my my organization 
But post-merger, the, new, the, the values of the new organisation are really not aligned. Mm-hmm. And there's so much conflict, I will find it hard to resolve them and remain authentic. And the authentic choice might then be, I need to work for a different organisation. Mm-hmm. And that is a wholly authentic thing to do, uh, to do that. But there may be enough room in there to say, okay, I can see where this value is slightly in conflict, but I also see in the overall scheme of things how there is some alignment. Is that not slipping back the mask back on though? No, I don't think so. I think, I think again, there is a point where, you know, if you start to say, well, I'm actually compromising my values. Mm. But there, I think there's a grey area as well where I can see, I can see where the company's values, I can see where mine are not exactly aligned. But I can see enough alignment that I can say, you know, I'm actually bought into this. Yeah. So, for example, I mean, I might say uh, I have a, one of my huge values, I say, is let's say, sustainability. Mm. And you could say, like, every organization could probably do more on sustainability, yeah. uh, unless it's an organization that's purely about sustainability. So you have to make that judgment call. Can I stay authentic to myself, true to myself? In other words, that relationship with myself is still authentic and still have an authentic relationship with the organisation. If it's gone to the stage where my organisation is dumping waste into the Irish Sea, <laughs> well, now I'm at the stage, well, actually, no, hold on. Yeah, that yeah. is now gone past. So there is a judgment, but it's not, uh, again, it's not having a mask. It's, it's really being so comfortable in your own skin and say, look, at this is me. I can see where there is not complete alignment. And by the way, as an executive, you may not agree with every executive decision. A change process comes along or a downsizing, but you do have to look at that longer term. Am I still aligned with the overall mission? I mightn't agree with all the little bumps on the road, but I'm generally in agreement with the overall direction. Yeah. Probably look at your mortgage payments as well, just in case. Well, that could be that could be a thing. <laughs> but having said that, uh, I have seen, it's interesting, with, with uh, particularly with millennials, let's just go down a bit further yep. down the organisation, from working with millennials, one really interesting thing I've seen is that millennials of all the groups I've worked with are very, will happily move to a lower paid job once their values are more closely aligned. Mm. Much more so, I think, than, than maybe previous generations. I can say it's an age thing, but I think it's more to it than that. Uh, and I've seen it again and again. They will say, look, at my values don't fit here. But uh, here's another organization where I've just closer, not perfect, mm. but closer alignment. And actually I'd work for less. Uh, and they put a value on that. And that's, that's, again, taking an authentic choice, I think, as well. The obvious leadership example at the moment is coming from the White House. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have to bring up Trump when we talk about authentic leadership. Um, despite his many, many, many detractors, a lot of people would at least consider him authentic. Would you mm. consider him authentic? Yeah, and this is a this is a great question because like this is where authentic versus authentic leader. I don't think he's an authentic leader. Uh, at all, because if you think of some of the stuff we talked about already, I don't think he has an authentic relationship with himself uh, to begin with. Does he really look into his heart, into his soul? I think he's already admitted in an interview that no, he doesn't. He doesn't think he'd like what he'd see there. He doesn't spend time that self-reflection. He certainly doesn't try to demonstrate any level of vulnerability. Um, he's very quick to shift the blame to other people. So there's that relationship is certainly not an authentic one. I think he's very skillful in terms of, uh, he's a high skill level uh, in terms of, he does put himself on show me when he's on Twitter, he's being his authentic self. Mm. But just think of the relationship. Is that really what, I mean, he's really, he's not just the leader of a small group, you know, a certain, re- certain amount of Republicans in the United yeah. States. He is the leader of the United States. And someone might say the leader of the free world. That is the relationship that has to be authentic. 
Is that relationship authentic? So let's measure it up. Is it based on a long-term view, on a long-term mission? Difficult to see any evidence of that if you're walking away from things like climate change, for example. Mm. So say like definitely doesn't take that box. Is this leading from the heart in terms of building that relationship? Certainly leading from the heart with some of the constituents. Is it leading from the heart or leading from instinct? Um, well, that's not say, well, say some people say he's quite authentic because he seems to react and you see the real him. But that's been authentic, just being true to him himself. But is he true authentic as a leader? Mm. Is he truly looking at the relationship in terms of because if you think about one of the, the recurring things about relationships, relationship always means there is another person, even if the other person is myself. So myself as, as another person, my team or the people I'm leading. And let's say in, in Trump's the world, let's say the, the free, let's call it the free world. In order to have that authentic relationship, I need to think about empathically where these other people are. What do they need from me as a leader? So that's the difference thing between authentic and being an authentic leader. I can be wholly authentic and just be, here I am, take me for what you see. Or I'm, as an authentic leader, I'm considering what does this relationship need? I've seen very little evidence of empathy uh, from Trump in terms of his relationship and, and valuing those three key relationships. Has he really looked into his own self in terms of vulnerabilities and what he's doing? Has he looked at the relationship with the American people as a whole? I mean, all of the American people. Mm. Uh, and also beyond that into, into the, the overall global impact. And well, I'm fascinated beyond himself, yeah, because yeah, he'll be there for eight years or whatever. whatever yeah. But the Republican Party, let's take that as his organisation. Yeah. You can see at the moment there's lots of reports about senators talking behind closed doors against him, but mm. in the outward supporting him. Yeah. What is the long-term impacts of that within an organization. What happens when the mask slips? Is it just an absolute disaster, you know, blood on the walls? What what actually happens when that all falls down? Well, that's the, it's a good point. I mean, start from the very last thing you said, when it all falls down, because it will all fall down. Yeah. Um, and then, so typically what people try to do is reinvent the past in terms of like what actually happened and justify the actions that came about. Will that really stack up if you take the Republican Party, if, you know, whatever happens in the next number of years, when they look back at, you know, where the United States is vis-a-vis the rest of the world, um, they can justify it versus it was everybody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Or they, are, they, are they authentic enough to look into their own heart and say, look, we actually caused this. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a few authentic voices in there. Uh, the same few keep coming up. At the moment, I would, you would, uh, I could surmise there's a lot of inauthentic masks going on yes. around people pretending to be authentic, but actually they just want to make sure they get elected uh, next time round. But if you take it out of the United States, it's an organisation where there is a lot of inauthentic behaviour, and if when it does fall apart, I think it can be crushing for for everybody that's that's involved, because a lot of the people on the ground who are not leaders, who are the actual people who are doing the work, getting the stuff done. They're the people who are going to be most affected uh, when it all falls apart. They have not been party to what was maybe the dysfunctional behaviour that was going on. And unfortunately, they are the ones who end up paying. And all they're hoping for is that the next leaders who come in will be a better set of leaders than the previous ones. But unfortunately, yes, the greater mass of people are the ones who pay, maybe even by a small amount of dysfunction at the top. Um, It is a theoretical question. Uh, Do you believe the financial crash could have been lessened or even prevented by more authentic leaders in the marketplace? The reason why I ask is Mm. honesty comes out a lot here. Yeah. And the lead up to that 
financial crisis seemed to have a lot of people hiding from even facts and figures even within their own organization yeah, yeah. I think there are so many factors that you could you could we could analyze this forever yeah. um so just to take a, a couple of things one thing I think obviously that featured in was groupthink where you know everybody persuaded themselves in the room that they were doing the right thing mm. would an authentic leader in the room have helped yes I, I, I again from a theoretical point of view I think they would uh, because they would have taken the long-term view um, rather than maybe the short-term, this is what we need to do, <clears throat> whether it's a financial crisis or some other of the scandals that have happened. Because I think for, if you take your groupthink as, as just a phenomenon where we all kind of sit around the room, we all agree with each other and we're kind of blind to everything that's going on outside. I think authentic leaders are less likely to fall into that trap because they do take the time to look into what's really going on here. Mm. Uh, they take that longer term view. They listen also to the, what's coming up. They listen to more outside voices. And if they are truly authentic, they will speak up. They will be the ones who will challenge, even though it's the unpopular thing to do. Because what groupthink does around the table is that it kind of people become self-censors and that they don't speak up. Mm. I think an authentic leader, almost by definition, will be the one who has the courage to speak up and say, I don't like what's going on there, or this is what I'm seeing. Uh, and everybody else's head might go down to see how this lands, but the authentic leader is more likely to be the one who will break the group think. Again, if you had the authentic leader as the CEO, well, maybe you wouldn't get into it in the first place, where yeah. the, the, the truly at the top is the authentic leader who's taken that longer term view, who is really minding those relationships, who is not afraid to call out what's actually happening and take action. So yes, if the CEO is authentic, if, if that had happened, a bit more authentic leadership at the very top uh, certainly would have had an impact. But even authentic leadership further down, I think if that had been there, it would have avoided maybe some of the group things that went in. And this kind of um, you know, death by a thousand cuts where we, you know, we just find ourselves on a slippery slope uh, we started off making a decision and 10 decisions down the line was down the line was somewhere where we shouldn't be. So I think, yes, authentic leadership potentially would have avoided some of this. And I think, by the way, the, the upsurge in interest in authentic leadership for me is definitely connected with the, with the recession. People are looking for a different kind of leader. They're looking and saying, well, what kind of leader would we like to see heading our organization? And that's why I think there's a lot more discussion around authentic leadership, a lot more being written about it, a lot more being talked about, a lot of people very interested from a coaching point of view and developing authentic leadership skills. And I think that is a reaction to what went on before. And you talk about the Gordon Gecko and degree that's good and saying that no, that isn't a good model. Mm. Um, for companies out there looking to hire and have decided to bring this thinking into their equation, what are the things they should be looking for and what are the things they should avoid? I, I think we've talked about testing, but yeah. beyond beyond those simple psychometric tests. Yeah, and so we talked about psychometrics, which have, which have a, a range of things. Um, <clears throat> so again, authentic leader, it's from outside, I suppose you're going to have the track record of what the person is doing outside. But let's say you're, you're, you're promoting inside. You have a much better view of what has been this person's track record from an inside point of view. Mm -hmm. So what, how have they developed their teams? What is the evidence uh, in terms of how they've taken that? Just take the long-term view, for example. What has been the evidence of that? How have we seen that in action? How have they developed their teams? What are the indicators uh, of their own teams? How high-performing? Have they got a track record of building teams, investing time in, in them, developing high-performing teams? Have we seen that record all the way up? What is the sense we get of them in terms of 
if you if you're at a relatively senior level, you're you're on show quite a bit. Mm. You know, what is the sense we get of the of the person? And I think authentic leadership, you know, you see it, how do they embody the values of the organization? What difficult decisions have they made? Uh, over the time, not just the easy ones where we're definitely this is an easy thing to do. When have they stood ground in terms of holding on to a principle that's been really important that is aligned with the organization's mission where it would have been easier to do something else? And um, so we're looking at their track record, but not so in terms of results, not purely on results, the, the nice measurables. You're also looking at how they've embodied the organization values and how they've taken long term views, particularly how they have delivered through their teams. I think the really authentic leader has transformed teams and you can see where they've taken teams which might even be dysfunctional mm. and brought them to somewhere else. So th- I think those are good measures we can have. So again, just get down to pra- practicalities. Yeah. So during an interview, it's not so much taking out their CV and asking yeah. them about their skills yeah. or their results, yeah. what sales figures they've achieved. It's yeah. just that slight twist on the question. Yeah, I, I think it's like interviews can only ever be part mm. of of a process anyway. I mean, there are psychometrics as well. Like authentic leadership is is um, is not somebody that comes up as easily as an interview. I think it is built on a, a track record. I mean, you really have to look at what were the results of this person, not just the what they delivered, how did they do it? So you can look back over a lot of things. I mean, it's not easy to do it an interview, obviously, but if you've got the information, think if it's an internal, <clears throat> look at what was the kind of turnover in their teams. Mm. And what were the kind of step changes in results that were coming from their teams over time? Um, If there were feedback, I mean, some organizations have quite sophisticated feedback mechanisms, not just on the what you delivered, but on the how, rated by your peers and rated by others. What kind of information have we got from there as well over a period of time? Because I think authentic leadership isn't just a point in time. It's something we can look back over. How has this person behaved in the last period of time and that's where we really have to try and dig deep and that's not so easy in a traditional here's a here's an application form here's an interview mm. uh, how do we see this in action it is back into exploring how the person delivered as much as what they delivered super billy i think we should leave it at that thank you very much for your time thank you Hugh.